For those of you guys who don't know, again, my name is Kaylee, and um, earlier this month, a group of the college students went to Passion, um, and I'm just going to share a little bit of what God um, showed me through Passion. Passion was one of the most physically exhausting conferences that I have ever been on. On our, seven, our days started at 7 a.m., walking a mile to our designated pickup area and then getting back to our hotel after midnight. During our time, I think it is safe to say that many of us experienced spiritual warfare. Saturday night, we lost one of our group members, and since she had left her cell phone in the hotel, we could not call her. Sunday afternoon, I lost my cell phone. Come Monday, everyone was cranky and short-tempered. Finally, Tuesday, our last day, as I'm entering the arena, a security guard saw my pepper spray in my purse and escorted me away from the group to guest services to dispose of it. From early on, I realized that the devil was trying to use these things to bring our group down. In the end, God showed that he is good. He blessed me as well as the others tremendously at Passion. Uh, Beth Moore spoke about the mind and how powerful it is. She said that when a negative circumstance takes place in our life, we tend to say that I'm never going to think about blank ever again. But sure enough, we do. She said, don't try to stop thinking about those circumstances, but instead change the way you think about it and use it for God's glory. Another thing I learned at Passion is that God doesn't always give you the desires of your heart, but he will give you your heart's desire. After going to Passion, I learned that many of the speakers we had heard had also written books. I plan on reading more books because someone once told me that you can tell what kinds of books a person reads by, uh, by how they live their life. Hannah, Kim, and I decided to meet up once a week and go through a book section by section, read it, soak it in, and discuss it and dwell on it. I also feel that it is important to memorize and practice scripture, and I would like to see more of that in my life. Francis Chan gave an illustration that really hit home. He said that one day he told his daughter to clean her room. She left for a while and then came back saying, Daddy, Daddy, I memorized what you said. You said, clean your room. Daddy, I even invited a bunch of my friends to come over, and I taught them all what you said. At the end, we all repeated it together. Clean your room, clean your room. He then said that oftentimes we come together and study God's word and memorize scripture. But are we really obeying the scripture or just memorizing it? God gives us scripture not just to memorize. He wants us to practice what the scripture says and speak it over our lives. After going to Passion, I really want to see our church be unhindered in our worship every Sunday morning. I want to see all of us coming together, worshiping God for who he truly is. I know at Passion, being surrounded by 22,000 people with hands held high, it was easy to embrace worship. But since worship begins with him, we can't let minor things hinder our worship, such as, I don't like this song, or I don't like the words to this song, the music is off key, or the people next to me might think I'm weird, and come to the realization that worship is first between us and God. God deserves our highest praise no matter what song we are singing and who is standing next to us. When we begin to realize who God really is, worship is going to pour from us. God is more than deserving of our highest praise. Uh, as school starts up and I head back to work, I want to carry the name of Christ by dying to my appetites. Andy Stanley taught us that each and every one of us have appetites. They range anywhere from jealousy to conceit, um, drugs, and drugs and alcohol, relationships, and so on. I really want to challenge myself to realize what my appetites consist of and die to them. It's not worth trading God's kingdom for the temporary pleasure we gain from our appetites. By dying to my appetites and saying yes to Jesus, others will begin to see a change in me. Overall, even though the devil was trying to bring me down, God was in control. Despite the circumstances that we had to overcome, God brought me to passion for a reason. He revealed himself to me through this experience. Ultimately, God reminded me that he is in control and we need to put our trust in him. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Kaylee. Um, 
Yeah, we um, have folks who went away uh, to Passion, come back and, and, and share as a way of reporting. Uh, as I know, for uh, those who didn't go, there are a lot of people who are praying for the ones who did. And so we want to connect them back with our congregation to say, um, this is how uh, God heard your prayers, and this is how God moved in response to them. And, and so uh, we're not going to have many more people share um, but if you'd like to hear, maybe you were particularly praying for somebody and you're wanting and waiting for them to share, um, and they may not be, um, you can sign up on the bulletin board we've got. Um, all of them have sent their testimonies, and there's a packet of testimonies. If you're interested in that, you can sign up and you can receive that and hear how each person was individually and personally blessed by their time um, away at Passion. So thanks, uh, Kaylee, and thanks for others for going, and for the rest, uh, thanks for praying for the team of people who went. Um, today is our, our last week in, in this series of kind of uh, expecting more from God. Next week, we're going to um, begin a series on uh, redemptive relationships, how the gospel transforms our relationships with each other. Um, but for today, I want to kind of end this as we began uh, January 2nd, talking about what, what would it look like if we began to pray uh, for 30 days in a row. Someone once said that, depending, the number varies, but they said, if you do something for 21 days straight, uh, for better or for worse, that thing becomes a habit in your life. And so we're trying to go and, and, and create a healthy habit of being with God each day to make it something that uh, we go through and, and we get into a, a routine of doing it so that it becomes something that we just naturally as, an, as a reaction want to do is just to be with God and to be with the one who's so passionately in love with our soul. So I don't know if you've been doing this or not for 21 days or for 30 days or whatnot. Maybe uh, you want to start today, and, and that's totally fine. It's never too late to, to start. Um, the fact remains that 21 days or whatever days you do something in a row, it, be, it becomes a habit in our lives. But um, I want to kind of talk about, for, um, again, for those who did or for those who didn't, what happens when we pray? Um, each, each quarter this year, want to have a different prayer focus. This one, it was just like praying persistently, as, as Eugene Peterson would say, a long obedience in the same direction. Uh, 30 days of prayer, or at least 30 days or whatnot of praying for, for one thing, and later we'll talk about what it is to be fasting in prayer and things like that. But um, what happens when we pray? Uh, that's what I want to talk about today. And as I was um, preparing this message, I was really just challenged and, and convicted and, and, and burdened uh, through um, this message as it was being birthed and born. So I pray that the same would be true in, in your life. So Acts chapter 4, we're just going to read three verses, um, very simple verses. Acts chapter 4, verses 29 through 31. I'm going to ask that question, that simple question, what happens when we pray? This is God's word, um, Acts 4.29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants. This is the middle of a prayer. Um, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is God's word. Let me read verse 31 again. This is just where we want to focus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. 
What happens when we pray? I just want to say two things, and I don't mean to belittle your intelligence here because the points that I make are painfully simple, but I think it's important that we understand this so that it might help us. My aim is not that we pray for 21 days or 30 days, but that we cultivate a lifestyle and a habit of dependence upon God in, in prayer. It's the first thing. What happens when we pray? When we pray, uh, history is shaped. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They speak the word of God boldly. The gospel goes forth and, and people are coming to be saved. And, and, and as they pray, people are being healed and nations are being changed and cities are being changed and the churches are being planted all over that area and throughout the world because the people of God prayed. The first thing that happens when we pray is history is shaped. After they had prayed, dot, 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 these things begin to happen. I remember when I was back in college, I heard this quote that um, just really jarred me, and it shook me, and it just never, um, I remember for, for a couple years, I, I couldn't, um, it was such a conviction that I couldn't shake it. Uh, this, this person said to me, quoting a man I would later find out would be Walter Wink, said, history lies with the intercessors. History lies with the intercessors, meaning that history is shaped by the people who are standing in the gap and praying. History is shaped by prayer. Do you believe that to be true? Do you believe that God moves in response to your prayer? Do you believe that prayer makes a difference in this world? And I think, again, the most important question is, do you believe that your prayer makes a difference in this world? Do you believe that? Because if you did... I think life would be very different. See, here's why I think most of us don't believe it. Because if our beliefs are best expressed through our behavior, then our lack of prayer is indication that we don't really believe this is true. So intellectually, in your mind, do you believe that your prayers make a difference in this world that we live in, in the lives of the people that you're praying for? Do you believe that when you pray, it matters? And if that's true, that you believe this, then does your behavior reflect that also? See, I think a lot of us wish it were true. We wish it were true because there comes a point in time when every person, whether they're religious or not, will pray. What is that time? It's when we're desperate for something. You're about to get it. You you get pulled over by a cop because you're going too fast on 408 or I-4. Going to, or 535, there's always cops there, right? Dan Daniels Road, you get pulled over, and your first reaction is, well, first reaction is maybe to, to say some things you shouldn't say, but your second reaction then is to go and start praying. Oh, my God, help me, God, help me, God. I know I've never prayed to you before, but help me not to get a ticket, because if I get a ticket, my parents are going to kill me, or I'm, my insurance rates are going to go through the roof, and I can't have another ticket, and my life is going to get suspended. So God, help me. In that place of desperation, maybe you're so sick that you're throwing up, and as you're throwing up and throwing up into the toilet, because you ate something bad. I, I got a text from Howard Kim this morning. He ate something bad, and he's been really sick, and so he couldn't make it. But, but you're throwing up, and you're throwing up, and, and, and you're desperate. And in that time, you call, God, help me do something. And I think this idea has seeped into the lexicon of American culture in such a way that you can't watch a basketball game without hearing a religious undertone. Let me tell you when it happens. Usually, it's at the end of a quarter, the end of a half. At the, bat, the other team shoots, you get the rebound under your basket. Time is ticking, ticking, ticking. Two seconds, one second. 
What do you do? You have to throw it 80 feet up in the air, and the announcer always says he throws up a prayer. Why? Because in every other situation in the game, you can plan, you can make plays, you design plays, you put it in the hands of your superstar, and they can do what the things that they do. But in that moment, when there's one second left and you're 80 feet from the basket, you don't have a chance. You're desperate, and when you're desperate, the only hope you have is a prayer, and so you throw it up. But the reality is that your life cannot be sustained simply going on a diet of desperate prayers. And if the only time we're praying is in desperation, then we don't really believe that God answers the normal, everyday prayers of our lives, and he uses these things to change and shape human history. I don't know why it is that you don't pray. Maybe it's because, or the reasons I don't pray are, are manifold. Maybe it's because, maybe it's because we've prayed to God for certain things, and he gave us the opposite thing. We prayed for God, open this door, and that door was closed to us. God, help this girl to like me, and this girl ends up liking someone else. And we feel like, you know what, I've, I've gotten the, the bum end of the deal too many times. I don't want to pray anymore. Or maybe you feel like, if God's got it all figured out, if God's in control of everything, then why do I even need to pray? You ever feel like that? If God's in control, I don't need to pray. Then why should I pray? I think we pray for this very specific, <laughs> very specific reason that our prayers make a difference. See, when God has his purposes in this life, but he always uses secondary causes in order to make his purpose happen. Let me, let me explain it this way. If you're sick, right? Maybe, you're a, maybe your appendix has just popped open, right? Your appendix has popped open, and you're in, just in, in, in just crazy amounts of pain, and you're sitting there rolling on the floor, and you're like, in your mind, you're, you're playing out this theological statement, God is in control, he knows whether I'm going to make it or not. And so you say, well, I'm just going to sit here, because if God wants me to get better, then he'll get me better. We don't do that, right? What do we say? We call our parents, we call our spouse, we call our somebody to drive us to the hospital. Why do we do that when we know that God is in control, and he's going to help us get better? Because God uses our obedience, he uses medicine, he uses doctors in order to accomplish his purposes. In the same way that you're, you're about to go to college, you're a senior in high school, or you've, you've got a job and it's time for you to be, or you're a senior in college, you're about to apply for jobs. You don't sit there and go, you know what, God says he's going to take care of me. Therefore, I don't need to send out resumes, I don't need to apply to colleges, I'll just let God do his thing and take care of me. After all, he's in control, isn't he? We don't do that. None of us do that. We diligently do our college applications. We diligently turn in resumes to all these companies. We put our resume on monster.com and, and, and try and get leads and try and get connections. Why? Because we know that God's purposes are accomplished through human action. And in the same way, God's purposes in history are accomplished through our prayers. In fact, God uses the prayers of you and me more than any other event more than any other human action, to write on the scroll of history. Because history belongs to the intercessors. Do you believe that that's true? You look throughout the Bible, you will see this, Exodus 32. Exodus 32, God is about to destroy the Israelites. He's about to wipe them out because they've been sinful, they've been evil. And Moses comes and he intercedes and he says, God, spare these people. He says, because Moses prayed, God relented, and the people were spared. God's purposes in human history were shaped because of the prayer 
of Moses. In fact, of all of the things that Moses could have done, he could have laid on top of a couple of people and said, if they go, I go. He could have told a bunch of people to go into hiding in some bomb shelter and maybe you'll be safe. Of all the human actions that he could have done, it was the most effective thing that he could do in order to write on human history, to change human history, to shape human history, was to pray and to intercede. Because prayer shapes history. That's why in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, God says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. If my people pray, then I will heal their land. God moves in response to the prayers of the saints. And if we believe this to be true, then it ought to manifest itself in our actions. Let me take this one step further. Revelation chapter 8, Walter Wink does this exposition of of Revelation 8. It's a scene in heaven. John has got this revelation, and the scrolls are being opened, which represent human sin and judgment, and all this frenzy of activity. Angels are flying around doing all their things, and and they're singing, worthy is the lamb, and, and bowing, and all these censers and scrolls are being torn open, all this stuff. And in the midst of all this, Revelation 8 says there's silence for 30 minutes. Why would there be a silence in the midst of all of this activity, in the midst of all of these songs that are being raised up, 30 minutes of just sheer and utter silence? Why? I don't know how many of y'all ever took Taekwondo or maybe are taking it right now. I don't know if it's the same in other martial arts, but when I was growing up, uh, we had, I was in like third, fourth grade, and we had this like master, his name was Master H.K. Lee, and he was like really good. He was a Black belt, obviously, and he had all these stripes on it. I think he was like eighth or ninth degree and was always doing competitions and in these Taekwondo magazines and stuff. And he was, like, he was like the big shot. And he had a younger brother named June. His name was June Lee. And then they had a bunch of other kind of like other black belt teachers, but they were just kind of like his minions, right? They, didn't, uh, they weren't like as high a degree as him. And whenever he was like uh, tired or bored or something like that, he would just have the, the minions teach. And so when they would teach, just kind of be like different stations and one station would be practicing our forms uh, and, and, and doing stuff like this, and other, others would be sparring with each other and going back and forth through the thing, sparring and, and blocking and sparring and blocking. And then others would have this, like, um, this, like mat, this red or, or, or blue uh, mat, and you would kick it, and, and then the guy would like, absorb the, the... And so these are dif- different things like this when the minions would lead. And then uh, it would always happen. It would always happen that sometime in the midst of that one-hour class, the master would come in. And he would open the door, and he would walk in, and then everyone would stop what they're doing. It'd just be like utter silence. And then the first minion to recognize that the master was there, he would say in Korean, he would say, attention, right, or something like that. And then we would all hit our sides like this, right? And we'd stand up really straight, and then he would say, the master is here, bow! And then we'd all bow, and then he'd say, okay, okay. And then we'd all go back to our, our activity, our frenzy of activity. The Bible paints almost a similar scene in Revelation chapter 8. There's all this activity going on, and then all of a sudden, they're called to attention, and everything stops. What is it that causes heaven to be interrupted in that way? The way that Walter Wink explains it, he says, the reason why you hear the sheer sound of silence in heaven is because the prayers of the saints are rising up as an incense to the throne of God. The most beautiful 
fragrant offering that's being lifted up. And, and John Ortberg, the way he says it, he says, all of heaven is interrupted by our prayer. We think prayer doesn't make a difference in heaven. Because there is a, a, a stoppage of what happens in heaven when the prayers of the saints rise up to the throne of God. And then these, 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 these prayers like an incense rise up and they're filling this bowl and then this bowl is thrown back down on earth. And what happens in heaven because of our prayers manifests itself on earth. Because our prayers are being heard and are making a difference. And the point is clear here. In response to their prayers, the word of God went forth and the nations were changed because of it. The question is, do you believe that your prayers, your prayers, right, your prayers, right, not just their prayers, but your prayers are making a difference in history. Right, who knows how many people would have given up on Christ if you had not been praying for them? Who knows how many people are at their end of their rope and they said, you know what, I'm just going to throw in the towel, but they're still going because you were praying for them. Who knows that maybe you, the reason, the only reason you're hanging by a thread right now in your spiritual life is because somebody has been fighting for your soul. And you don't understand and you don't see it and you don't realize it, but their prayers are making a difference in heaven and it's changing your life. Our prayers are shaping history because history belongs to the intercessors. More history is made in prayer meetings throughout the churches all over the world than they are in the war fields and the battle zones on planet Earth. More history is being made in the prayer closets of, uh, of believers than they are in the councils of, of cabinets in, uh, throughout the world. And more history is being written in places where people are believing on God in prayer than they are in any other place in the world. This is what his word makes clear to us, that when we pray, history is shaped. That's the first thing. But the second thing that we see, not only is history shaped, but our lives are shaped as well. That's the second thing. Uh, verse 31, after they prayed, the place where their meeting was shaken, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I think if you're in this prayer meeting, you would believe that your life would forever be changed. Uh, five weeks ago, I began by kind of inviting us into this, this, this challenge to, to pray. And I shared a story. I don't know if you remember a story about a guy named Douglas Coe. He was a guy, uh, People magazine, Time Magazine, 25 most influential uh, evangelicals in America in the year 2005. And he was meeting with a guy named Bob Hunter, and he basically said, pray for this for 45 days, and, and if God doesn't move mountains, and I'll give you $500. And if he does, and you owe me $500. And, and he, he prayed for Uganda for 45 days, and, and literally uh, transformation happened in that country. And this guy, um, Douglas Coe, was sharing this message with, with 20 people of the Young Professionals Organization, YPO. is basically a, a group of uh, under 40 CEOs, people who are under 40, but they're CEOs of large organizations. And as he was sharing this story with them about uh, Bob Hunter, he, he, he just offered that same challenge. And now these 20 people, 13 of them came up and they said, you know what? Uh, I want to take you up on this offer. I'm going to pray for 45 days straight. 
believing that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. And I believe that God is going to move mountains in these things that I'm praying for because I'm taking God at his word. Thirteen people said they would pray this way. And so he, he said, okay, and he you know, did the, uh, made a bet with them. Twelve of these 13 people came back and they said, you know what? Indeed, mountains were moved. And so they said, I'm going to give you $500, which he would later, I don't know what he did with that. The 13th person, he wrote back to him and he said, you know what? My mountain didn't move. But after praying for 45 days straight, my life was completely changed. And I owe you $500 and so much more because it's so worth the money to see the transformation in my own life. See, when we pray, we're changed by God. Because when they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. I, I don't think there's any doubt in their minds that when they prayed, God showed up in that place. It doesn't always happen this way. Actually, I've never had a time when I, I don't think I've ever had a time when I prayed and the place where I was was shaken. But I think as you read through the rest of Scripture, we see that God shows up in many different ways. Sometimes he comes in a fire like he did on Mount Carmel. Other times he comes in a a whisper in the wind as it just gently goes across our heart. I think the point that Luke is making as he writes Acts here is that when we pray, God is there and we can either recognize his presence or not. Because a mark of true prayer is that when we pray to God and when he meets with us, our lives will necessarily be changed. We cannot come and encounter the living God and not be transformed. We cannot meet with God and not be changed. You can't spend time with anybody and not be changed. Enough time with anybody and not be changed. You know this you know this to be true. When you think of people talk about all the time, oh, you know, these, these pets look just like their owners. Have you seen pictures like that? Or you got this like bulldog and you're like, wow, I wonder who their owner is. And then you see the leash and it's got this like bald-headed man who looks like a bulldog, right? Or, or this cat who, who's got these like whiskers and just real primped up and looking real beautiful. And then you see who it is and it's this lady with like these, uh, you know, eyeglasses that look like a cat. You're like, oh, it makes sense because we become like the ones that we hang out with. And I think people say this all the time about couples who are dating or couples who are married. They begin to look like each other. You ever, you ever hear that if you're married? You ever hear that? I don't think Olivia will ever look like me, but there are a lot of things that um, after we got married, we began to, began to just kind of absorb certain things from each other, like the things that we talk about, right? the, the, some of the terminology that we use. I've adopted some of hers into my vocabulary, and she's adopted some of mine into hers, and, and the things that we do, some of the facial expressions that we make and the hand gestures that we make, and it, it, it's crazy because... Like, our, our dietary habits have, have changed, not completely, but they've changed to reflect one another's. I could eat pizza, I think, every day of my life, and she used to always hate it. But the other day, actually, one, one night she had pizza, and she was like, oh, you know, was, and then th- uh, Friday night we had cell church at our, at our house, and uh, the fellow Daniel, who was bringing food, uh, really wanted to bring pizza. But Olive was like, no, 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 I had pizza yesterday, and she was complaining and kicking and screaming, and so we had to go and, and buy fried chicken um, because... Uh, we didn't, she didn't want to eat pizza. And so we ended up actually buying a pizza, and then we brought it, and he said, well, let me just have a, a bite of it. And then she ended up eating the whole huge slice of pizza. But she, her dietary ch- habits have changed to become like mine, but at the same time, yesterday, wonder of wonders, she went to Chick-fil-A, and she said, I'm buying you a salad. is isn't a big deal because she loves salad. 
But the bigger deal is that I actually ate it. Like, oh my gosh, what's happening to me? But we become like the people that we spend time with. We can't help but be changed when we're in the presence of somebody for long enough. I knew that Olivia and I were getting tight, and I've mentioned this before, but I knew that we were getting really tight when she was pregnant, and I began to feel some other things that she was feeling. It's crazy, like utterly crazy. And I think other men have experienced this. When her stomach was getting bigger, my stomach was getting bigger. I don't understand what it was, but I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? And, you know, I... With me, you can tell when my stomach gets big. But then other things, like she'd wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and I'd follow her into the bathroom. I'd say, i got to go also. I don't know what it is. And, and she would have back pains, and I would have back pains. And, oh, gosh, what's going on? And, and she would get really emotional. She'd have these, like, uh, emotional speech. She was actually pretty tame. I was worse. I'd be, like, really emotional. I'd be watching ESPN, and someone makes a basket, and I'd start crying. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's crazy. But... All the things that she was feeling, I was beginning to feel also. We can't help but be changed when we spend that much time with somebody. And when we come into the presence of God and we pray, and we cannot help but to be changed to become more like Jesus, to become more like God. And if we're not, you know, um, I forget this guy's name. Um, he was a Scottish preacher. Um, his last name was Stalker. It's a very interesting last name. But his last name was Stalker. Um, he said the greatest thing that Jesus did for his disciples, the greatest gift that he gave them, was probably, was probably the least talked about. It is a constant and consistent, silent influence of his character on their lives. That these people saw it, and it shaped them into becoming the men that they would later become. All of them except for one. All of them except for Judas. You see, if we're spending time with somebody and we're not becoming more like them, I don't think we've got a marriage. I think we're just going through the motions. The same way Judas didn't really have a relationship with Jesus. Remember when he betrayed him? He never called him Lord, he never called him. The only thing he would call him is rabbi. He never had a relationship with him. And it's very possible for us also to go through the motions of prayer without ever recognizing the presence of God with us, thereby never being changed. Because we go into prayer to write off something on our spiritual checklist that I did this and to feel a little bit better about ourselves, but all the while... The focus is not on recognizing the presence of the Almighty who's with us, but our focus is on ourselves. I remember being at a prayer meeting like that one time when after I finished praying, I wasn't more like Christ. In fact, my heart was so filled with anger because I, I remember specifically in my mind, I was like, these people who are here are not praying the way that they should be praying. I remember feeling this sense of pharisaical, pompous pride in my heart. I didn't really meet with I wasn't there for God. I was there for myself. The, true, the, the, the first mark of true and genuine prayer is that our lives will be transformed to become more like Jesus. We get, we, we get changed to become like Christ. Look at what, it says, man, these people prayed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All of a sudden, people who are so full of themselves are now filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're changed. People who are so shy and timid now speaking the word of God boldly. I don't care what happens. Come what may. I'm going to give my life. 
And if I perish, I perish. But they spoke the word of God boldly because they were in the presence of one who is infinitely bold and one who is so full of the Spirit. And their lives were wrapped up in that and they were transformed by him. They said, God, my life is changed because they met him. His, here's two ways that we change. It's the Holy Spirit coming on us and then we become bold. This is about character and it's about conduct. It's about the insides and it's about the outside. Our root is transformed, but then the fruit of our lives is changed also. It's inside and outside, a complete change of who we are as we get into the presence of God. Do you ever get frustrated that you're not changing in your spiritual life? Oh my gosh, I can't, I can't become, why am I so impatient? Why am I so angry all the time? Why am I so filled with these awful thoughts towards people? Why am I, why am I always talking gossip about people even though I know that it's wrong? Why am I so greedy? Why am I so envious? Why am I so lazy? Why can't I change? I think a lot of times it's as simple as that. And are we spending time with God? We can't change apart from that. We can't change apart from being with God in prayer. You ever wish that you had more of the Holy Spirit in you? You ever wish you had more of the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? You ever wish for more of that in your life? You ever wish that there was more of God's anointing in your life? It's not going to happen by playing on the internet. It's not going to happen by, by, by just listening to, to, to music. He says, when they prayed, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We get frustrated, but transformation is just, is just knees length away. It's just a, as simple as getting into his presence, as simple and yet as difficult as that. But it's as accessible as that. It's as available as that. I know a lot of you all have probably heard of Jonathan Edwards through your English literature classes. He wrote one of the most famous sermons in all of history called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Uh, it was in large part responsible for the Great Awakening throughout the New England area here in America. But Jonathan Edwards, if you talk to people who knew, uh, he was not dynamic at all. In fact, he was very boring. When he would preach his sermons, he would just take his manuscript and he would read in monotone. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is, how he, this is how he preached. And so he's preaching this message about how we're sinners like a, a spider being held by a thread dangling over the fires of hell. And poof, revival fire broke out. They said before he preached this message, for three days, he didn't sleep a wink. He didn't eat at all. He fasted for three days. And he prayed just this one simple prayer over and over. And over. he said, Lord, give me New England. God, give me New England. Give me New England. He prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. And they said when he stood up in that pulpit to preach, it's like he, was, he had the face of one who had just been staring and gazing at the face of God himself. And as soon as he walked up, conviction fell over the people, and people just began weeping before he even said a word. And he just preached this message, and like fire, revival broke out in that place, and souls were saved left and right, and they went forth, and they took the blessing of God, and, and New England indeed given to this man on a platter because he was full of the Spirit because he prayed in faith that his prayers would change him and would change the world that he lived in. You ever wish for more of the Holy Spirit in your life like that? And I, I read this and I'm jealous. Man, I want this. I want this kind of transformation in my life. I want this kind of power. I want this kind of boldness in my life. 
this kind of authority, of the kind of anointing to be used by God in this way. And it's like, it's so simple. The word of God, a mirror into my heart says, you know what, David, all you, it's as simple as just getting and being and lingering and hanging out and recognizing his presence and then there being transformed. And it can't happen just by virtue of desperate prayers because desperate prayers is not enough of a diet to cause this kind of transformation in our lives unless we're desperate on, an, on a daily basis for more of him in our lives. And the earliest African converts, when they first became Christians in the jungles of Africa, they so believed that prayer changed history and changed their own lives that every single one of them would go to remote areas in the, in the brush of, of their villages. They would go out of their villages and they would walk and they would trample on the, on the, on the ground, on the grass before them, and they would, they would go into that place and pray. And everyone had their quote-unquote prayer room in the, in the, in the wilderness, right, outside of their village in the brush. And everyone's territory was marked because their grass would die every time they would go forth into that place. And yet as time went on, some of them would grow lax in their prayer. And people would be able to tell because grass would grow in their path. And so their friends would lovingly confront them. And they'd say, brother, there's grass in your path today. Wonder, is there grass in your path today? How long has it been since you went to that place of world transformation? On our knees in prayer. How, How long has it been since we went to that place and allowed the Spirit of God to change us from the inside to the out? How long has it been since we saw lives being changed and history being shaped in response to your prayer? And what would it look like if we became a church who every night our pillows would get stained and soaked with tears because we're so desperate for God's presence in our lives and in the lives of the people that we're praying for? What kind of a transformation would happen in our church and in our area and in our communities and in our lives if our knees began to become rough and worn out because we spent so much time in our prayer closets? What kind of a difference would it make in our families, in our cell churches, in our Bible study classes, in our individual lives if we really began to take his word seriously. That when we pray, this is what happens. Heaven is interrupted. History is shaped. Our lives are shaped. Heaven is open. Mountains tremble. Darkness flees. The, the, the move of God begins to take place in our lives. And I was convicted because it's so much easier. Jesus was so much more willing to go to the cross than I am to go to the free throne of grace. Jesus, the one whose character was beyond reproach, whose conduct everyone looked at and nobody could, nobody could even falsely accuse him with right intent, with, with having clarity of conscience. Jesus, the one whose prayers shook the very foundation of the world that we live in. Jesus, who every prayer, because he was so pure of heart, 
See, a sinning person will stop praying, and a praying person will stop praying, but Jesus never stopped because he never sinned. And so every prayer that went up to the heavens was answered, incense rising, poured out into this, except for the one where he prayed, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus drank the cup of wrath so that we could drink in the bucket of blessing that he deserved. But that's all that's available to you. It has been made completely accessible because of grace, because of the cross, because of what Christ has done. All we need to do is believe, not only in our mind and in our heart, but believe in action and then begin to see transformation take place. you believe that your prayer, your prayer, that your prayer, John, right? Your prayer, Bill. Your prayer, Hannah. Not just their prayer, not just his prayer, not just her prayer, but your prayer interrupts heaven in this way. That your prayer shapes history. The greatest missionaries who changed nations like China, India, Burma, Africa, people like Hudson Taylor, Adoniram Judson, people like David Livingston, first and foremost, they were men of prayer, and they changed history. Do you believe that your prayer could one day be counted amongst those masses of people who shaped history? And do you believe that in you, when you get into the presence of God in prayer, that your life will be changed? Let's come to the Lord God and, and let's ask, telling him, God, I believe, but help me in the places of my doubt. God, I believe, But my faith is often weak. Help me, Lord God. I believe. Help my unbelief. Let's go to the Lord God in prayer. And maybe for some of us, God is calling us to make a resolution to say, you know what? Today, God, I'm going to begin a journey of prayer. That every day, I'm going to spend five minutes with you in prayer. Every day, God, I'm going to spend 10 minutes with you in prayer. I'm going to dare to take you at your word. And recognizing your presence, I'm going to allow you to transform my life as I come into your presence. Let's come to the Lord God in prayer, and let's respond in faith, believing him at his word. It's not just things that we made up or not just experience of people, but this is God's word telling us that this is true. And so as we embrace it by faith, let's go to the Lord as we respond in prayer, saying, God, use me. Make my life a prayer to you. God, make me a prayer and let my prayers be a cry that touches lives, that touches nations, that transforms my friends that brings the lost into the kingdom, that sees young and old return to Jesus like in the year of Jubilee. Let's go before the Lord as we respond for a couple moments of prayer. Let's pray together.
Father in heaven, we thank you that you have set before us an open door to yourself and to your blessing. God, help us to love you so much that we just couldn't wait to be in your presence. And then as you allow us to just sit on your lap as our Abba Father, and you say, just tell me your hopes and your dreams and your desires. And we give them to you trusting that in the same way that a child giving his Christmas list to his mom and dad, even though those things are not reasonable, will not be turned away, will not be met with anger. Believe that as we give our hearts to you, that you will never turn us away in anger, but you will begin to change us so that our prayers begin to reflect your wishes and your dreams, not only ours. So help us to go boldly to that place of prayer. Help us to go humbly to that place of prayer. Help us to go believing and expectant. And may we leave the place of prayer changed, filled with praise because of what you've done in our lives and through our prayers. We thank you. We love you and we pray these things in Jesus' name.